songs, we could worship you, Lord. Who are we but a vapor quickly fading? Lord, we submit ourselves to you this morning. We just humbly come. Please uh, draw us to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love those uh, lyrics. Who am I? I am yours. What an incredible blessing it is to know that we are the Lord's. Uh, we're in John chapter 14, if you want to make your way there. It'll also be on the screens in just a moment. But I want to recognize fathers first. So would all of the fathers please stand? All of the fathers please stand. What a blessing to have that many fathers. And what a blessing uh, so many of you fathers are to your children and to those around you. You may be seated, and James, appreciate you, brother. I know you're in the background there, but he's a father too. Three wonderful girls. Uh, I saw something this morning that there's 18.5 million fatherless children. And, you know, sometimes we ought to just come alongside someone who needs a father figure and just let them know that we're there for them and love them. Because so many people are hurting today and we need to uh, make a difference in their lives. The text that I'm going to read in just a few moments is about heart trouble and God's cure for heart trouble and that's John 14, 1 through 11. Before I get there, I, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, Winston Churchill. I'm a big fan of Churchill and and all that he did, I mean, an incredible man. He, he, uh, he had a lot of problems, but uh, he was still an incredible man. And he had a razor-sharp wit, and he also had this ongoing feud with Lady Astor. And uh, he was uh, at a political event that she was at, and she became so angry at Churchill, she said, Mr. Churchill... If you were my husband, I would put poison in your tea. To which he replied, Madame, if I were married to you, I would drink it. <laughs> oh, on another occasion, Lady Astor said, Mr. Churchill, you are despicably drunk. He said, You are correct, Madame. And you are despicably ugly, but in the morning I will be sober. <laughs> now, in our text, we are still in the upper room. Jesus and the eleven, Judas has left. And as they are there together, the dynamic boundaries that they've had for three and a half years are now being strained because Jesus is basically telling them he's going somewhere they can't go and they are upset concerning that. They are confused, they are afraid, and it's a very troubling time. And then Jesus uses these very powerful words in our text. It is the sixth of seventh I am statements of John's gospel. Jesus will say one of the most powerful things that he will ever say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I'm going to ask you to stand as we read our text of Scripture today, 
verses 1 through verse 11. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves." Heavenly Father, I thank you for the passage of Scripture that you've given us today because it does cure our heart problems. And Lord, there are so many things to be fearful about today. And Father, we just need that peace that comes from you and we need that peace that is in you. So Father, I pray today for your perfect will in our lives. May you challenge us and Father, may you allow us to know that you cure all heart problems. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The 11 disciples were totally stressed out at this point because Jesus basically said, Hey, I'm going somewhere you can't go. There's also someone that's betraying me. And now he's going to say, Listen, I am going to leave very, very soon. So when you read all of that, the, the, the disciples in the upper room are, are now frantic because for three and a half years they have known the presence of Jesus, they had known the peace of Jesus, they had known the purpose of Jesus, and now basically they had not understood that he was going to have to go away and go back home to the Father and leave them to uh, advance the gospel. So their stress level was incredibly high. And I'm guessing you could cut the tension with a knife. And the disciples are all looking around, and I'm sure they're thinking, Who, who's going to betray him? Which one of us will it be? Let me put uh, Jesus' words in Arkansas hillbilly vernacular, okay? Jesus' words to them were like this. Hey, guys, don't freak out. Trust God. Trust me. We got this. And he's basically saying, listen, just calm down. Everything is good. There's no reason to lose it. All will work out according to plan. Now, think about it like this. Today in our world, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of things that can cause tension, stress, anxiety, worry, all the things that God says don't have. I mean, the economy, right? 
You look at the economy and you go, oh, goodness, is there going to be a recession? What's going to take place next? You look at gas prices and you're like, man, $5 a gallon is coming, $10 in Northern California. How are we going to be able to get from point A to point B? Oh, my goodness, the stock market's crashing. It's a bull market. The market's dropped over 6,900 points. What are we going to do about that? I wanted to retire, and now I'm not going to be able to retire because my capital net worth is so much less than it were just months ago. And then we're on the tail end of the virus and we hear the virus starts to spike again. And then there's the war that's going on and uh, all of the carnage from that. And then not only that, but we live in our country at one of the most divisive times in history and certainly the most divided America in my lifetime. And we're like, Lord, you're just going to have to come and straighten this mess out. You're going to have to come again. And I don't know uh, if there's one person that's keeping the hand of God from moving. There's that last person that will be saved, born in the family of God, and then God will say, you're out of here. You're gone. We're taking you out. And some days when I awaken, I'm like, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. Even so, Jesus, come quickly. Quickly. So, with all of that said, I want to share three powerful truths from our text with you today. The first truth that I want to share with you is this don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus is at the Father's house preparing you a place. If you're a born again believer, he is preparing you a place. Now, isn't it amazing that the master carpenter, the architect of the universe, takes the time to prepare you a place? Isn't that an incredible thought that our Savior is working on our home today? Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead after going to the cross, after being crucified, after being beaten, after being placed in the tomb. And three days later, He arose and He's alive forevermore. And at His resurrection... After that, he spent 40 days with his disciples at periodic times convincing them of what was next and what they needed to do. And then he went to the top of the Mount of Olives, and then he begins to ascend uh, out of sight in Acts chapter 1. Uh, and, and, and it's as though the disciples are looking their eyes out. In fact, the, the terminology in the Greek language is that their eyes stood out on stems trying to see the Lord as he was ascending back into heaven. And then the angels say, this same Jesus who goes into heaven will come in like manner. And that's what we're waiting on, is the return of Jesus. And what an exciting time that will be when the Lord returns for us. Well, you say, well, what's the Lord been doing all of that time? Is he just had a seat and resting, recouping from three, 30 years of life on earth and three and a half years of ministry? No. He's preparing a place for you. He has been working, preparing a place for you. In fact, he said, in my Father's house, there are many places. There are many mansions. And here's a great thing. You know, one nanosecond after you die, as a believer, you'll be in the very presence of Almighty God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's just like that quick. And there we are in the Lord's presence. People ask me all the time, well, Brother John, well, I know my loved ones in heaven, and I gave a pretty typical response. My response is this.
do you think you'll be less intelligent there than you are here? Absolutely not. You will know your loved ones in heaven. In fact, you'll know everyone in heaven. How will I know everybody in heaven, John? It's called intuitive knowledge that God will give us, and you'll know them as your closest friend on earth. It, it's going to be incredible how we will know others. We will know everyone in heaven, babies that died preborn and babies that died newborn. We will know them in the fullness of their vitality when we get to heaven there with them. We won't be angels when we get to heaven. We will have this, this resurrected body like the Lord's. We won't be beneath the angels. We will then be above the angels. They have longed to look into the salvation and they can't understand it. But listen, you and I understand it because God took us from death to life. Amen. And what a beautiful thing that is, as He has come into our life and given us hope. And with this resurrected body, we won't be subject to age. Can I get an amen from that? Or disease, amen. Or wrinkles, amen. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many things that God's going to cure us of. And, and we'll be there with Him forevermore. And we will know Him and we will worship Him perfectly. And then in verse number 2 of our text, in my Father's house are many mansions. That is the King James word, mansions. A better translation, because the word is Monet, a better translation would be many places. Many places. It's not like each of us is going to say, well, that's my mansion on the hill over there. It's going to be more like this. We're going to be in, think of a, of a massive hotel with no locks on the doors. Because you won't need a lock. And we'll all be living as family because we will all be family when we get to heaven. And it's going to be absolutely incredible the way that we're going to experience what Jesus has for us. It'll be like a massive estate and it will all be ours. And we will be joint heirs with Christ. And what is His will be ours. And Paul uses the terminology of a building in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, for we know, we know, I love that. If our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, guess what? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed of a habitation which is from heaven. So guess what? God's going to make us brand new. Now, let me ask you, anybody here that's over 50? Raise your hand real quick. All right, put them down. Anybody here over 50, when you get out of the seat Getting up, you grunt. Raise your hand. <laughs> we groan, don't we? Oh, oh. And, and, and our, because our bodies just aren't what they used to be. I mean, we are dying. And in that process, it's slow and it's painful you know we used to we used to talk a lot about heaven but we don't talk as much about heaven as we used to I mean when you go back and you, you look at the early Christians they long for heaven I mean they had a difficult time on planet earth and they long for heaven they look forward to that but we have it so good now we don't talk about heaven we don't think about heaven very often but as you get older I have noticed that I think more about heaven I've noticed that I, I realize how wonderful that will be. But and then what happens is uh, people will say, you Christians, all you think about is pie in the sky by and by. 
No, that's not all we think about. I always think about we got steak on the plate while we wait. I mean, God's good. You know, it's not just in the future. It's right now that God's good, right? And we've been so incredibly blessed. I want to read this. It's from C.S. Lewis. And it's called, he wrote in his book, The Joyful Christian. Throughout history, the Christians who did most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. Early Christians left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were preoccupied with heaven. It is since Christians cease thinking of the other world that we have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will miss both. Wow. Wise words from a brilliant mind. A pastor was on a flight. And, and, and the flight was just, I mean, it was just so bumpy. In the, and, and, and as the pilot came on the intercom, he said, please put your backs of your chairs up and also put your seat belts on. We are entering turbulence. And, and this pastor uh, he said the plane would just drop and then it would go back up and then it would shake violently in the thunderstorm that that was going on and and, uh, he was praying and he was frightened and he looked across the aisle and there was this little eight-year-old girl there by herself without any supervision and she's just reading her book like nothing's happening. And finally the plane lands and and after the flight, uh, the pastor said to the little girl when they got up, said, I was so impressed with you. You you didn't bat an eye. You weren't, weren't afraid at all. Why were you so calm during this incredible storm? And she said, oh, I wasn't worried. My daddy is the pilot. And he said, I'm taking you home, hon. You know what? There's no need for us to worry because our dad's the pilot. And he's taking us home. He promised that he would, and he would. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So whatever storm you're going through, just keep this in mind. God's got it, and he's taking us through the storm, and he will make a safe landing in heaven for us. So stop worrying about all these intangible things that we have no control over. I mean, do you have control over the economy? Nope. Do you have trouble? I mean, do you have control over the war in Ukraine? Nope. Do you have control over the price of gas? Nope. What do we have control over? We have control over us. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So that's God's cure for heart trouble. Number two. Don't let your heart be troubled. You will, as a believer, spend eternity in heaven. You will. Three reasons. Well, one reason people are on edge today is there is so much uncertainty. I mean, it's it's like, what's next? What's next? Will I lose my job? Will I be able to retire? Will, Will I be able to pay for gas to get to and from work will things ever be the same again it seems like the last few years have just been horrible and they continue to pile up and get worse and worse and worse in the midst of so much uncertainty some things are absolutely certain and those are the things that we need to fix our gaze upon 
and we never need to look away. It is this. God loves you, and Jesus came to die to give you eternal life. Those are certainties. So latch on to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and realize all is well. Now, you may be, and I have met a number of people who are always saying this. You know, I just wish I could have assurance that when I die, I'll go to heaven. I just wish that I would know that, that I, I will go to heaven. I mean, I love Jesus, but I, you know, I just don't know if I'll go to heaven. And nobody can know if you're going to go to heaven, they say. But there's a powerful scripture in 1 John that I want to share with you that allows us to know that we can know that we can know that we can know that we can know that we're going to heaven when we die. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what does that word say? Know that you have eternal life. We don't have to have a hope-so salvation. We don't have to have a think-so salvation. We have a know-so salvation. And if you don't have that, you need to find out why. Because you're probably not trusting God or you probably haven't trusted God. But what we need to do is say, Lord, I trust you. I believe that what you said is true. And I'm going to trust you. In the midst of uh, one of the greatest psalms, maybe the most uh, frequently quoted passage in uh, Scripture, is Psalm 23. And David wrote these words, and I, I want you to listen to them. David was saying, I, I have a no-so salvation. Yea, though I walk through. By the way, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't camp out there, okay? You go through it. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm not fearing evil because, Lord, you, you're, you've got this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And guess what he said next? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will. It is a done deal. That's where I am going. And as I said earlier, as I grow older, I find myself thinking more and more about friends and loved ones who've gone to heaven and the day that I will rejoin them and the time that I'll be able to rejoice with them. You know who I think about so often? I think about a young man who sat on this first pew named David B. How many remember David B? How many remember singing, How Great Thou Art? And what did David B. do, James? He'd stand up and beller with all of his might, wouldn't he? Now, David B., for those of you who don't know him, he had Down syndrome. And he had this childlike faith. But his childlike faith was so strong that he trusted Jesus. And when you would read a passage about King David, you know, he'd, he'd be pointing to himself. <laughs> but what a blessing to know that one day again I'll see David B. in heaven. And you know what was so amazing? His family wasn't going to have a service because they didn't think really anybody cared. But I told him, I said, you have no idea the impact he's made on us. And so we had a service, and we had hundreds of people here for him. And it was such a blessing. And his family, they were just amazed. Listen, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no over because your rod and your staff, they come for me, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. J.I. Packard was a brilliant theologian. He died 
in 2020 at 93 years of age. He said this, As I get older, I find that I appreciate God and people and good and lovely things more and more intensely. So it is pure delight to think that this enjoyment will continue and increase in some form literally forever. In fact, Christians inherit the destiny which fairy tales envisioned in fancy. We live and live happily and by God's endless mercy will live happily ever after. So, don't let your hearts be troubled. We win. We get heaven. We get steak on the plate while we wait. Pie in the sky by and by when we get there. What a blessing that will be. This father took his uh, daughter to get a puppy. And these puppies were in a box and, and they were just like balls of fur you know how little puppies are and, and uh, she looked in there and they were jumping on each other but one they just sat in there wagging his tail like this back and forth and back and forth and she said daddy daddy I want the one with the happy ending <laughs> and you know what we get the one with the happy ending when we trust Christ amen we get the happy ending it's that fairy tale thing forever and they lived happily forever third thing that I want to point out and the last thing don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus promised to be your only way to heaven. Verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except he come through me. You say, well, that sounds pretty narrow, John. You sound pretty narrow. Uh, it's not me that said that. Jesus said that. Jesus said, I'm the only way. That's a sixth I am statement that we have in uh, John's gospel. And these declarations of I am, he was identifying himself as God because we go back to Exodus chapter 3 and when Moses was going to go to Pharaoh, he said, well, listen, all those gods over in Egypt have names. What's your name? He said, I am. So when you get there, you just tell them I am sent you. And so now Jesus picks up on that and the religious leaders who crucified Jesus, they knew what he was saying. He was claiming to be God and they were having none of that. Now, in each of these I am statements, we have this conversation. In verse number 4, it says this, And where I go you know, and the way you know. And then Thomas pipes up and he said, Hey, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And then Jesus uttered these incredibly powerful words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except he come through me. You know, Billy Graham, uh, always a huge fan of Billy Graham, he preached to over, uh, let me think, 210 million people face-to-face, face-to-face, and millions more on the television screen. And by the way, you can still catch his sermons on television periodically, and you can find them in a lot of different places. But you know what he had behind? If, if, if we had a different shot of this, you know what he had right behind him? Any time he'd go to a place with different language, he had John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he had. And that's a concise statement that every group of people could understand. Now, 
there's a lot of misunderstanding in the world today that some way, someday, everyone's going to get to the God. That's not true. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And you know, that's really a sad statement, isn't it? Because I want everybody to go to heaven, don't you? I don't want to see anybody perish. But it's not my way, it's his way. The religious leaders in Jerusalem knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And when Peter healed this paralyzed man in the, in the book of Acts, uh, they question him. And then Jesus, or Peter gives this explanation of the crucifixion. And he said in Acts chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, boy, don't you know that took some backbone to say? whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you today, healthy. And this Jesus is a stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he added this, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Well, those are Jesus' words. And I don't think he minced his words. And I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis again. He was a brilliant professor. He was an agnostic at one time. And, uh, but he seriously considered the claims of Christ and became one of the greatest Christian authors of the 20th century. He wrote these words. This was in Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That's Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He is either God or he is not. And he is God. And he saves souls today. Jesus didn't say these words. I'll show you the way or a way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'll teach you about the truth or a truth. He said, I am the truth. And he didn't say... I'll give you a life. He said, I am the life. You see, there's not one way to God. Jesus isn't one way to God. He's the only way to God. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also 
And I, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except he come through me. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Now, there's a lot to have anxiety over. But it's not necessary. You can't control those things, but you can control you. And you can control your decision. Trust the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your perfect will. And I pray, Father, as uh, people have questioned or doubted or they have come to the place where they're unsure if they have salvation, even though they uh, say they love the Lord, but yet don't have that peace. Father, I just pray that you'd give that peace today because truly that's the important aspect of salvation is that we trust you. And Lord, we understand that you do all things well so my prayer today is that uh, every single person within the hearing of my voice in this building or on uh, Facebook or our web page or wherever they're listening Lord they would have peace and Father I know that you love us and I'm so grateful you gave your life help us Lord to give our life in return in Jesus name I pray Amen Stand